sing with us and we'll get started.
Shira's out of town, but let's give a hand to the praise team doing a great job this morning. We appreciate them so much. And let's go to the Lord in a word of prayer if, as we bow our heads together. If you have a special need heavy on your heart, God knows exactly what it is. He knows what's occupying your thoughts. He knows what's troubling your hearts. And if you would like to be remembered in prayer, would you just raise your hand up real high? Hold it up for just a moment. And there are hands, many, many hands. We are a needy people. Oh, God in heaven, we come to you this morning uh, presenting to you every person who raised their hand, whether they did so physically with their hand, whether they did so kind of in their heart before you, because you know all the things that are in our hearts and in our minds. Lord, I pray that you would minister to them, that you would give them healing, that you would answer prayers according to thy perfect will, that you would do in our lives what you intend to do so that in your sovereign will, we will do what you've designed us to do. Holy Spirit, we thank you for being in this place, and we pray that your convicting power would be in every seat and every chair, every place in the house. And God, we thank you, Lord Jesus, for dying on the cross for our sins. We thank you for paying the price for our sins that we might have everlasting life. I thank you for every person here, Lord. I thank you for every adult and every child. Thank you for these military families. Thank you for the civilians. I thank you, Lord, that you love us and give us the opportunity to worship you together. Lord, you're a God who sought us out, and we thank you for that. Now, be honored, be glorified by every song we sing, by every word we speak, and we'll thank you for the opportunity we have to do so in the name that is above every name, the name of Jesus Christ, our Savior. Amen. God bless you, and thank you. you may be seated, and if you're a first-time guest, if you're watching by way of YouTube or Facebook, welcome to First Baptist Church. If you're in the auditorium, we're so glad to have you here. First of all, a word of explanation. 
the printer called us up a couple of months ago and said, we ran a bunch of your connection cards, but uh, we cut them kind of wonky and they're, they're not first rate. Would you like them for free? I said, well, sure, we'll take them for free. You know, free is my middle name. Yeah, that sounds good to me. I like that. It's the right price. So I went and got them, and we've been using them for a long time. Little did we know on the back when it says, send me information about being a follower of Jesus, the J is in lowercase until somebody pointed that out graciously to us. And so we will be removing these (laughs) free cards, and I will be hand-correcting every J. No. We'll get some new ones that actually have capitalized J. So that was totally unintentional, okay? Nothing nefarious going on. Uh, It's just the way it happens. So if you would like to use one that has a small J, we understand, and we we will get that fixed as quickly as we can. But if you're a first-time guest here at First Baptist Church, please take a moment and give us your information, and we promise not to abuse it or misuse it, but we want to know who was here, and thank you so much for being here. If you'll do this, fill it out, turn it in, we'll get a Starbucks uh, gift card to you in appreciation for your doing that. So let me give you a couple of announcements. We'll connect uh, Sermon on the Mount today, part five, Are You Salty? Holy Communion will be right after this, and then the military luncheon for all active duty military who would care to stay, free lunch. Saturday, men's breakfast, 8 o'clock, right here, guys, be here. Again, you, you, the feasts have been incredible, but the fellowship's been even better, so be here, 8 o'clock. If you can come early, about 7, and help set up and cook, then that would be even more appreciated. Next Sunday, Sermon on the Mount, part 6, Superior Ethics, and then afterwards, we're having a church picnic, and we have the park reserved uh, down his street, Spreckles Park. So here's some special instructions for uh, that after service next week at Spreckles Park. Bring your own lawn chairs or blanket, whatever you're comfortable with. For those with limited mobility, if you're not able to take your chairs with you to the picnic, then we'll transport them for you. All you need to do is put them out front when you come to church. Uh, Put your names on them with tape or whatever so we make sure we get them back to the right person. And we'll be transported to the park and we'll be waiting. Uh, So... We have sign-up sheets. This is your last opportunity to sign up. So I'm going to pass these back. Uh, and if you haven't signed up yet, bring, indicate whether you can bring a dessert or a uh, main dish or, you know, whatever else you would like to bring. Go ahead and sign that up and pass it back when you get it. Now, let me see. I think I have a couple of other announcements. One other thing, two other things. Sign up for a new member class October the 15th. After the service, we'll have another lunch for everybody, free lunch for those that sign up, and then we will uh, go ahead and have our new member class, and you can decide whether you want to become a member of First Baptist Church or not. Last thing is we need wrapped, individually wrapped candies for Halloween, Uh, so if you could bring those in the next couple of weeks, that would be good so we can give kids a whole bunch of, of good candy on Halloween, which is our fall festival. And I understand Halloween has got some things associated with it. We avoid all of that. Uh, We give out gospel tracts. We give out uh, Bibles. We give out candy. We give out hot dogs. We give out water. So uh, we're trying to give an alternative and and trying to give the devil some competition on, on Halloween. He needs a little bit of competition, I'll tell you right now. We've got a special Christmas ladies tea coming up, and I think we have a slide for that. That's going to be December the 2nd, and it's going to be from 5 till 8 p.m. We have a a special guest speaker who's going to be uh, brought in from afar. Her name is Miss Pat Bays, and uh, (laughs) she's a famous author, 
and uh, is, is, uh, is known to have helped uh, you know, a, a feeble husband uh, pastor a couple of churches. So uh, tickets will go on sale October 22nd. It's, it's the first. Um, how many people, Annabelle, did we say? How many tickets do we have? 60? Oh, whatever she said. Okay. <laughs> huh? Yeah, right. Uh, okay. <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm, you know, these old ears. 50, 60. It's either 50 or 60, I don't know, whatever. But get your tickets. They'll start uh, being on sale October the 22nd. First meeting will be the 15th for those interested in maybe hosting a table. So we're looking forward to having a great Christmas ladies' tea on that date. So I hope you'll be taking part of that. Let's stand. We'll continue to worship the Lord.
Thank you so much, praise team. Thank you. you. may be seated. Boys and girls, come on. First Baptist Church, boys and girls, come on up here. And I've got uh, something for you, a couple of things for you, and I want to share something with you. So come on up. And while they're coming, the Bible says in Matthew chapter 5, verse 13, you are the salt of the earth. Boys and girls, you're the salt of the earth. How many know what that means? Do you have any idea? Well... Times have been hard, and, and the economy's been rough, and so inflation's really bad. So for a gift today, I went to In-N-Out Burger, and I got you all a salt packet. Yeah. <laughs> In-N-Out! So these are, these are yours. Save them for later on when you have something that, whoops, here you go. In-N-Out. In-N-Out. I mean, we don't spare any price, you know what I mean? We just go, everybody get a salt? You want a salt? There you go. So you are the salt of the earth. So what, is that, what in the world does that mean? Well, it means we, since we're the salt of the earth, that we're to, we're to flavor the earth, we're to be seasoning, we're to make things better, and we are to preserve because salt is a preservative. And we're going to talk about that with your mom and dad. But that's not all we got. We've got something else for you. You ready? Ready? How many want to see what I've got? How many think a couple of salt shakers? Oh, pepper shakers. That would be a good thing. What do you think I've got in my pocket? Any idea? You girls having a discussion there? 
Here's what I got. Because the Bible, yes, sir. So look at, the Bible says you're the salt of the earth, but it says you're the light of the world. So you light up darkness, and you're supposed to let people see Jesus in you and see God in your life. And so we've got something we're going to give to you. But first of all, I want you to be salt by seasoning this life and by being a good preservative and disinfectant. But also, I want you to be the light of the world, okay? So let's pray right now, and then we've got something for you. Father, I pray for each boy and girl here. I pray, God, that you would speak to their hearts and help them to be the light of the world that you intend for all of us to be as your children. Father, I pray that you would forgive us our sins and bless us. We thank you for all you're doing for us. In Jesus' name, amen. Miss Pat has some flashlights for each one of you. One of my has a hole in his hole That's all right. <laughs> I need another cup of coffee before I do this. I'll tell you right now. Okay, take your salt and your flashlights to your moms and dads. Take them and give them to them so that they can hang on to them and you can get them later on because, yeah. I'm gonna take them away from adults too. If you... Here you go, mom. Push a button, baby. Well, give them a different one. Okay. Those are really expensive flashlights. I don't know why we'd have a problem when they cost a buck 25 each. <laughs> Batteries cost more than that to put them in. So, Well, we made it through the blesseds in the Sermon on the Mount. Blessed are the meek, blessed are the poor, blessed are, and so on and so forth. We finished up with blessed are the harassed last week. And now we move on because the Sermon on the Mount continues. It didn't stop with just the blesseds. Today, we're going to learn about God's standard of righteousness. What is righteousness? I used that term one time in an eighth grade paper I wrote, and my teacher said that, I, that that wasn't a word. I don't know where in the world she got that, uh, but she didn't think it was the right word, a proper word. I think she didn't have any theological uh, significance attached to it uh, necessarily, but righteousness means right living contrasted with the living example of the scribes, the Pharisees, and some of the religious crowd of Jesus' day. So basically, it's God uh, versus religionists on a high place, Mount of Olives, a flat place on the, on the mountain in Capernaum at about 31 AD. And our text continues in Matthew chapter 5, verse 13. And let me clarify, when I asked you the question, the sermon, uh, the question is asked, are you salty? I'm not talking about your choice of wording and language, okay? I, I, know, I know we have a lot of sailors out here. I, I know that's not... You, I say, are you salty? Well, blankety-blank, yeah, I'm salty. That's not what I'm talking about, okay? So let's look at verse 13. You are the salt of the earth. Now, the word you there in the Greek is an emphatic, restrictive sense. It's referring to the disciples and to the followers of Jesus who were gathered there uh, for this sermon on the mount. So he says to his followers, to his disciples, you are the salt of the earth. And here he's got a metaphor about salt and followers, and somehow they're going to equate. The scope of that influence and, and whatever being salt is going to do is going to affect the entire world. When he talks about you're the salt of the earth, he's not talking about the soil. He's not talking about the earth, the dirt. He's talking about the entire world. Uh, but what good is salt if it's lost its flavor? Can you make it salty again? It will be thrown out and trampled underfoot as worthless. So I like salt. Who here likes salt? Um, the truth of the matter is I go to In-N-Out Burger when I'm 
not on my best behavior, and I will load it up with salt. I'll load those, those little fries. Uh, you know, put salt those puppies down, man. They they get better and better. The more salt is you. I know it's not good for you. Uh, it's like a lot of things. Too much of it is bad for us. Did you know though that a certain amount of salt is necessary for good health? You have to have a certain amount for good health. It's good for seasoning. We mentioned that. It's good for certain foods like eggs and tomatoes and watermelon and popcorn and pretzels and even dark chocolate. And if you ever go to Panera and, and, and we're there, probably my, my wife will have twisted my arm to buy a kitchen sink cookie. How many have had a kitchen sink cookie? You need to go to Panera once in your life. When you're about ready to violate your diet and get off your diet, go there because this is going to be worth it and order the kitchen sink. And it comes with big chunks of salt on it with chocolate and everything else, everything, kitchen sink, right? But what happens if salt loses its ability to season or worse, in some cultures, no longer acts as a preservative uh, to certain foods because they don't have proper refrigeration. They depend upon salt to preserve foods. So this latter reference to the fact that salt forestalls corruption is important. It keeps rottenness from happening. It, it deters spoilage or decay. And the people of Jesus' day would preserve their meals, uh, their certain foods, by the addition of a quantity of salt. Pioneers in our own nation's history as they traveled westward would take food, meat primarily, that was preserved uh, with salt. So we are to be a preservative in our society. We ought to be a moral antiseptic in today's society. And need I remind you that Sodom and Gomorrah could have been saved if there had been 10 righteous people within the city limits. Just 10 righteous people. Abraham had negotiated with the angel of God and got him down to, if there are 10 righteous God said, I won't destroy this. And he couldn't find 10 righteous, which was a shame because um, there should have been plenty with Job's nephew and his family. So uh, Jesus taught that salt must remain salty or it's good for nothing but to be thrown away, or to thrown out. So it loses all of its usefulness and power. Now, what is the point here? We are to be special guardians of our testimony. How many preachers have you heard of in your lifetime whose reputations were destroyed because of some foolish, sinful acts they got involved in. I don't know if you're aware of this right now or not, and it, it grieves my heart. Uh, Jerry Falwell Sr. was one of my, was a dear friend, was a great preacher, an incredible preacher. He was an incredible man. When he would come to San Diego, I would pick him up, drive him from one interview to another, TV, radio, and he'd come and preach at our church and dedicated buildings for us at the other church and all. He's an incredible guy. Well, right now, his son, who was ousted because of uh, some problems sexually and uh, morality-wise, uh, is suing the Institution of Liberty University once again and alleging all kinds of, of things. Uh, and and the, the reputation that uh, Jerry Falwell Jr. had is greatly diminished. I, I have no respect for his profession of faith, for his, I hope he is a Christian, I hope he is saved, but I, I have no respect for him. Uh, and, and we have to guard our testimony, lest our ability to season become impaired and lest we become guilty of corruption in our own lives and we become powerless to influence for, for good. Someone wrote, 
a guy named Leon, uh, Morris Leon said, this section comes fittingly after the Beatitudes. It is the little people, he said, those with no merit of their own to plead, but who have been accepted by God in all their lowliness, who are the salt and the light. Jesus has spoken of their blessedness. Now he turns to their responsibility. So you know what? You don't have to be a big name person to be an influencer for Christ. You can be an influencer for the Lord Jesus Christ in your home. You can be an influencer for the Lord Jesus Christ in your work. You can be an influencer for Jesus Christ in your school. You can be an influencer for Jesus Christ if you're playing pickleball. How do you do that? By being nice when you lose a point, not ruining your testimony over some crazy little ball. Salt is a preservative, good for seasoning, even has healing powers. How many of you have ever gargled salt water when you had a sore throat? Almost everybody, well, a lot, uh, most, most of the people here. How many ever accidentally swallowed some of that stuff? Uh, yeah, that's, that's a, whole nother, a whole nother thing. So it has healing powers. And by the way, have you ever gotten salt in a wound? I get these canker sores, and and uh, this kind of. So, and when I'm driving long distances, I get sleepy. So sometimes I buy sunflower seeds and eat them. And I remember one time I, I was getting ready for a trip, and I was getting really really tired. So I bought a package of David's sunflower seeds. It sounded scriptural, you know? Yeah. Oh, wrong one. And and so I popped them in there, forgetting that I had this canker sore, and one of those sunflower seeds with salt glued itself to that canker sore, and it was, it's an irritant. Salt can be an irritant to an open wound. So we're to be a preservative for the world. We're to flavor communities in which we live. We should exert a healing influence, and sometimes we become an irritant when we don't go along with the evil world, when we don't go along with the moral degradation that goes going on around us, when we don't just accept uh, what others are trying to force upon us. So we are to be salt. Are you being effective as salt? Secondly, in this passage, in verse 14, it says, you are light, uh, the light of the world. And again, this you is emphatic and restrictive. Again, uh, not everybody is light in the world. It is the Lord's followers. It is the Lord's disciples who are light in a dark world. So he says, you, emphatic and restrictive, are the light photos of the world to shine in the cosmos. In other words, like a city on a hilltop that cannot be hidden. No one lights a lamp and then puts it under a basket. Instead, a lamp is placed on a stand where it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your good deeds, or in the King James Version, it says, let your light shine. In other words, let your works shine out for all to see so that everyone will praise your heavenly Father. Now, when I read this scripture, anytime I hear a city set on the hill, I think of Ronald Reagan. And I think of his speech where he talked about, um, uh, he talked about uh, John Winthrop in the early days of the United States of America and how that uh, so many of our founding documents were founded upon Christian principles and the words of God and the idea, it, it, it was not a restricted Christian nation. You had to be a Christian to get here, but there was freedom of religion, freedom of opportunity to make a profession of faith and to follow the Lord as your personal Savior. And that led to American exceptionalism, which, let me redefine it, because I heard it defined in a way that I don't agree with. Uh, if you think American exceptionalism is we are just special people, we are so special, we are so good, 
We are so smart. We are so good looking. We are so this, that, and something else. That's it's, it's wrong. American exceptionalism means we were blessed uniquely of God because we relied upon him. That's what American exceptionalism. We go back to uh, the creator God who created all of us equally. And we go back to the idea of uh, being founded upon uh, those things that never change, those things that uh, are consistent and stay the same year after year, millennium after millennium. Uh, we are an exceptional people. We've been exceptionally blessed. We went from a ragtag nation uh, uh, not even nation, a group of colonies to the most powerful uh, nation in the world in just, uh, I'd have to do the math, but not very long, 10 period of time. So uh, note one here uh, on this passage, our works are to shine, but not in the same way that the Pharisees' works were to shine. Because what would they do? They would go out to, they would go on orange and first Okay, they'd go out there at the intersection of Orange and First, and they would say, Oh, Lord, God of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, the great I, you know, they, they would start spouting off, and they would draw attention to themselves. Look at me, I'm so holy. They would give big offerings and make sure everybody knew about it. They were so, so impressed with themselves. And Jesus found fault with that. Many of the things that they did, he said, they, were, they did to be seen of men. And that should not be our motives. Our motives should be seen to glorify God, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit only. Not so we can be congratulated. So our works are to shine. Second note, this is the first time in this gospel, Matthew, that God is called Father. God was not called Father very much, if at all, in the Old Testament. This use of the, the title Father will be used 44 times uh, in total, exceeded only by John. In this sermon, it, it, it occurs 16 times in the Sermon on the Mount, the use of the, the title Father. The divine fatherhood of God meant so much to Matthew that he used it a lot. Uh, for since, in, in, in Ephesians chapter 5, for once you were full of darkness, but now you have light from the Lord. So live as people of the light, for this light within you produces only what is good and right and true. Take no part in the worthless deeds of evil and darkness. Instead, expose them. I, I turned the light on the kids a minute ago. We're to turn the light on sinfulness. We're to turn the light on that which is uh, wrong and, and against the word of God. Their evil intentions, he said, will be exposed when the light shines on them, for the light makes everything visible. This is why God said, Awake, O sleeper, arise from the dead, and Christ will give you light. In December, we have um, Christmas Eve services. And by the way, Christmas Eve is on a Sunday to this year, so we will have church on Sunday morning because it's the Lord's day and because we believe in God and we believe in his son, Jesus Christ. We believe in the death, burial, and resurrection. We believe in the second coming of Christ, and it's his birthday we're talking about after all. So we will have church on Sunday morning, and then we'll have Christmas Eve evening service, and I always love that. when you, you can take a completely dark building and light one candle and what happens to the dark? The dark runs away from light. Darkness cannot comprehend, in John chapter 1, cannot comprehend or blot out or put out light. I don't care how thick the darkness is. The light shines in darkness, and the darkness can never extinguish it. 
John's gospel says, God sent a man, John the Baptist, to tell about the light so that everyone might believe because of his testimony. John himself was not the light. He was simply a witness to tell about the light. The one who is the true light, who gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. And John 8, 12 says, then spoke Jesus again unto them, saying, I am the light of the world. And Jesus, when he was lifted up, you know, the Bible says no one takes a, a, a lights a candle and puts it under a basket. What's the point in that? You put it on a lampstand. If, if this is, if this is a, a lampstand here and this microphone is a glued-in... <laughs> if, if this is a candle and this is your candle, you put it up so that the light benefits you the best. And so it is. Jesus was lifted up. Jesus was lifted up on that cross. Jesus was nailed that cross. He lifted up so the whole world would see. So looking unto him, to look unto him, you could live. And that's exactly, I think my son-in-law preached on that, did he not? Uh, did a great job when he did so. So, so we're, we're to be light. Um, he that follows me, Jesus said, will not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. We're to be light, although our light does not originate from within us. Our light is reflected light. Did you know the moon doesn't have light of its own? Of course you did. It reflects the light of the sun. And so we are to reflect the light of the sun, S-O-N. So we are to be like a city on a hill in what way? It's quite impossible for a city on a hill to be hidden. Its location makes concealment impossible. Have you ever flown in at night and you're, you're waiting and, and you're waiting to see the lights of San Diego? We're not on a hill. We're on a beach. But even with it being on a beach, you can see it coming. You can see the lights. I get so excited when we're ready to, uh, to, to, to land in San Diego. So the disciples are not to be worldly people, indistinguishable from the people among whom they live. Oh, but how far have we strayed as a people, as churches, as Christians? Years ago, somebody told me when things were a lot more conservative, things were a lot different, Christians were a lot easier to identify. They said, you know, here, here's where, how did you, here's where the, the church is. No, here's where I am. Here's where the church is. And as the church loses steam, we seem to go downhill with that. And what's happened with the, the church or the churches of America, I, I, the, the, some of them are coming to uh, probably not going to be in existence within the next four or five decades because of the numbers of uh, 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 plummeting of membership and, and, and they've, they've lessened, they've, they've changed their doctrines. They've disregarded the doctrines as taught by the words of God. And so, uh, so we, we become, we, we think we're doing okay because we're, we're kind of where the church is, but the world keeps going and, and we keep following behind it, it seems like. And now things that, that, that Christians knew were wrong uh, 30 years ago, 40 years ago, 50 years ago are accepted in today's culture, in today's Christian culture. How worldly and world-like have we become? And yet the Bible says that light and darkness cannot coexist. We can't. We're more like a city buried in a deep hollow in a forest. Uh, if you're from Kentucky, it's a holler. We're in a deep holler in Kentucky. 
our light is trapped by the overgrowth of that which is all around us. Our light ought to help dispel darkness so that people can see the Lord easier and better. Darkness is not our friend. Darkness can bring fear. There are people who are afraid of dark. You may be afraid of dark. You may be afraid of what's there. It can bring uncertainty. It can bring loneliness. It can bring a sense of loss. It can bring injury and more. Light can help prevent most of these things. I've said before, I don't know if you have this issue or not, but sometimes in the middle of the night when it's the darkest of all, it seems like everything is compounded. The the problems are compounded. They're insurmountable, it seems, and then the light shines. And you think, what was that all about? Why was I worried about that? Light can serve us service in so many good ways. Also, did you know light can have a healing effect? When I used to work in the hospital, there were people who would have certain surgical procedures and they would, they would set up a light to help promote healing. Natural light is a disinfectant. Artificial light, uh, light can help recovery from certain diseases and surgeries. Molecules that would make disease worse were weakened after exposure to the light, and the ones that make us healthier are are benefited and strengthened by that. Light acts on the mitochondria to stimulate cell repair. Cells exposed to natural light produce new blood vessels, new fibroblasts, which create collagen and connective fibers to the wounds. So it helps in so many different ways. Light plays an important role in the, in the attitudes of people, in their endocrine systems, in their secretion of hormones, such as melatonin. I had a preacher friend, uh, I still do. He's, I've known him for 50 years, more than that maybe. And he pastored in Anchorage, Alaska, and when it got, you know, a certain time of the year, there's hardly any sunlight at all. I can't remember how much of the time. I know we went on a cruise one time, and we were in Anchorage, and, uh, and it was 1.30 in the morning. It was bright light out, and I was at my computer thinking, this is great. This is great. <laughs> and I sort of semi-died. Well, when it got super dark for most of the day, he would go to Arizona for a month in the wintertime because he, he said it affects, he said it affects people. It's, it's depressing. So how does this metaphor play, apply here? Several different ways. We're supposed to have a healing, spiritual healing effect on society. And we're meant to be seen by the world. So how's your testimony? How is it? When people see you, do they say, you know what? Something different about him or about her in a good way. Third thing is law. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 17, don't misunderstand, Jesus says, why I have come. I did not come to abolish the law of Moses or the writings of the prophets. I want to be clear about this. He said, I didn't come to do away, to destroy those things. Or I, I, I did not. It's a very strong word here that's translated into the word abolish. The Jews valued greatly Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, the Torah. They found 613 commandments in the Pentateuch, those first five books. 248 were positive, 365 were negative, and that was a gold mine for legalists. 
He said, I didn't come to destroy the law. No, I came to accomplish or fulfill their purpose. He says, I tell you the truth. And the word there really is the word that's usually translated amen, which means it's usually used at the end of a statement, uh, but at the beginning for an emphasis, for a a solemn emphasis on what follows. So he says, amen, or I tell you the truth, until heaven and earth disappear, not even the smallest detail of God's law will disappear until its purpose is achieved. So he's talking about the the atmosphere itself is going to be consumed. The earth itself is going to be consumed. uh, And that's not going to happen until the smallest detail. And guess what the word there in the Greek is? It's jot, J-O-T. You familiar with the term jot? Jot and tittle? Anybody know about those? Jot is the ninth and the smallest letter of the Jewish alphabet. And tittle is the little tiny point of a letter in that alphabet. And so what Jesus is saying, I want you to know this, amen, it's true, heavens and earth will not be renovated by fire, will not be changed by fire, will not be recreated by myself until every smallest detail you can imagine, the smallest letter and even the smallest little point on the letter is fulfilled. Not here to destroy the law. So if you ignore the least of the commandments and teach others to do the same, you will be called the least in the kingdom of heaven. If you break the smallest commandment, the Jews had the the idea of light and heavy commandments, and the light commandments were not as bad if you broke them as the heavy commandments. Kind of like Roman Catholicism, I think, with uh, with the mortal and venial sins. So some sins mortal, that's obviously very much more serious in their construct and in their theology than the venial sins. But you know what the Bible says? If we're guilty in one part of the law, we're guilty of it all. So you could keep 612 of these commandments if you broke one, you were guilty of the entire law. And that's not an unimportant or an insignificant thing. No commandment is to be taken lightly or to be annulled by the coming of Jesus Christ. So those who do so find themselves in low positions in the kingdom. It says here, but anyone who obeys God's law and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. His position will be great in the kingdom. Now, Jesus is not contradicting the law of the prophets, but he's repeatedly emphasizing grace over legalism. Do we fully appreciate? I, I think not. Do we fully appreciate what grace really does for us? We have this, I think there's a mindset and on a world philosophy, a kind of a karma type thing, right? If you do bad things, bad things are going to happen to you. If you do good things, good things are going to happen to you. Do bad things ever happen to good people? Absolutely. Do good things ever happen to bad people? Absolutely. I was reading today in the Psalms, and he said, Lord, why do the ungodly prosper? Why is your hand upon them? Why do you give them this? Why do you give them that? How come they live long? How come this goes on so well for them? Well, the story's not over yet. The story's not over yet. So it's not, this idea of grace is that he sought us out and he forgives everything that we bring before him and ask him to forgive. He forgives it all, not on our own merit, but on his merit. And this idea of grace and legalism, this battle theologically would continue throughout the ministry of Christ and it continues today. So many churches have some kind of legalism and, and, and there's, there's two different ways of looking at legalism. Okay, there, there's being really super strict. I used to say, you know, the college I went to, uh, if, 
if something was fun, it was wrong. You shouldn't do it. So, you know, if playing pickleball was fun, it's wrong. You shouldn't do it. Uh, if eating a pizza was wrong, fun, you shouldn't. I mean, it was almost that bad. That's kind of illegal. Not, they weren't legalistic in, in how you get saved. They were legalistic in their practice. And, you know, you got to wear a white shirt with a tie and, and a suit coat, polyester preferred. You know, so um, that, but, but the serious kind of, really serious kind of legalism, really serious kind of legalism is what you add to what Jesus did in order for you to be saved. That's the serious, that's the, that's the real problem. Because anytime you add to what Jesus did, it's not what we can do to get us, get us saved. It's what he did for us and us accepting that. So once more, the purpose of the law was not to earn salvation. The purpose of the law, is, in the King James Version, says was to be our schoolmaster, our teacher, to show us the things that are wrong. Otherwise, we wouldn't even have known necessarily all the things that are wrong. We live in a world that doesn't believe in moral absolutes or is trying not to believe in moral absolutes. So you have a nurse in the UK who was recently convicted of being a serial baby killer. Maybe you heard about that. She killed at least six babies in the neonatal unit that they know of where she worked. She tried to kill seven more. The judge pointed out, as he gave the sentence here a little while ago, just a few weeks ago, uh, that, that the moral judgment, in addition to the legal judgment of her actions, that the irony was that one of the six was 20 weeks old in the U.K. and the U.S., a baby of 20 weeks old could be killed through abortion. So the main difference between babies and their safety is location, location, location. One was in the womb, one was out. We in the United States are in a sad state of affairs because we reject God's moral absolutes. Viable babies are killed. It's not unlike the offspring of children in biblical days who were offered to the God of Molech as a burnt sacrifice. That's the law. Righteousness, last point here. Verse 20, but I warn you, Jesus said, unless your righteousness, your justness is better than the righteousness of the teachers of religious law and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Now it becomes an emphatic negative, all right? The other was, was a little different construct. It was emphatic and it was restrictive. Now it's emphatic negative. You will never, 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 unless your righteousness exceeds that of the Pharisees, you will never, never, never enter into the kingdom of heaven. By the way, I've been, I've been reading something. I've been reading some stuff. I get so excited about thinking about heaven now. Because of how cool it's going to be. I, you know, back in the day, it was like you're going to go on this cloud and play a harp. And that didn't thrill me. I got to tell you. <laughs> you get to heaven, you see somebody, you know, Moses, what, what are you up to, Moses? I've been playing this harp for 3,000 3, years. It's got good calluses, but, you know. Uh, you know what I think we'll be doing in heaven? I think we'll be doing, we'll be ruling and reigning with him for one thing. I think we'll be constructing. I think we'll be designing. I think God created us with, in his image with abilities to do things that we can't even fully realize or do here because of the corruption of sin and of problems that we have here and limitations that we have here. And I think heaven's going to be an incredible place. I don't think you're going to get bored for one little second up there. 
He says, you, you want to go into the kingdom of heaven, you better be more righteous than the Pharisees. And, and these were guys who had scriptures that, that were bound to their, their foreheads and their arms and so on and, and, and had all these rituals and, and had sacrifices, blood sacrifices offered and, and, and all these feast days and all the stuff. They did, they did it all. Righteousness to the Jews meant strict legal correctness. But you know what Jesus was looking for? Love. Looking for people to love God with all their heart, soul, mind, strength, and to love their neighbor as themselves. Got this idea when I was up in Clovis last week, and <clears throat> kind of helped me think about it, but I, I, I kind of, I'm, I'm trying to figure out how we could do something where we get a map of Coronado, and everybody, and, and everybody who's would do so would indicate with a push pin or a dot or something where you live. And then we get some really nice, we've got uh, s- some Gospels of John that, n- not the paper ones like we've been using, that, uh, but these are, this is like a book like you'd see on a coffee table somewhere. Um, really nice Gospels. And, and would it be cool if you would go to two or three block radius around where you live and say, hey, I'm your neighbor. My name is so-and-so. I live over on whatever, C Avenue, and, and I just want you to know that we've got a great church, and we'd love to leave an invite with you, and I want to leave a gift with you, whether you ever come or not, and, 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 and then we start filling in this map. You know what? It is doable for Coronado to be covered, every household to be contacted and to be given the gospel of, of John. It's doable. So be thinking about that. Be praying about that kind of working on that, and, and I don't know if love your neighbor is the name of the campaign or what, but something where you would just, and, and then, you know what? When people have a need, they might remember my neighbor. You know, they told me if I ever had a need to call the church. Love for God, love for fellow human beings. The Pharisees stressed keeping the law. How could anyone do better than they did in keeping the law? We don't need to keep the law. We can't keep the law, but we can receive Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior by grace through faith. The religious leaders demanded obedience. Jesus sought radical obedience as we shall see in the verses that follow. You're gonna, and, and I know you're aware of what follows this passage, and, and he, he tightens up some of the things that we, you know, he, he, I mean, it's, it's a whole different ballgame from what, from what we think it says. That'll be the next week and, and on. Teachers of the law might know the number of letters or books or, or words in a particular book, but they didn't know the deeper meaning of the law. So if you want to come to Christ, you've got to come a different way than the Pharisees did. So what have we learned? Let's conclude. First of all, we're to be salty. Salt is a preservative. Salt is seasoning. Salt is a healing agent. Salt can be an irritant. When they have books that are inappropriate to read, in a city council meeting, then they're inappropriate for young children to be reading them in the library. There, I said it. That should be obvious to anybody with any sense, actually. Salt is a preservative. It's an irritant. If we lose our ability to flavor, we're good for nothing. Secondly, we're to be light set on a hill, not hidden under a basket. Thirdly, darkness can't stand in the presence of light. Our light is reflected from our Savior. It's powerful, healing, and it spells fear and darkness. Fourth, the purpose of the law is to show us where we have failed. It is our teacher. Number five, 
Our righteousness must exceed that of the Pharisees. So are you salt and light at home, at work, and at play? Does our righteousness exceed that of the legalists? Are we trusting Christ in these perilous times? And I would say, most of all, whether you never come to First Baptist Church again, ever, most of all, make sure your relationship with Jesus Christ is solid. Make sure you're trusting him. Preachers can fail you. Churches can fail you. Denominations can fail you. God never fails you. Never fails. Our Father in heaven, we're so grateful for your grace. What we understand about it, I think, is so limited, so much less than what it really is. The fact that Jesus would suffer what he suffered and give what he gave and pay what he paid for us. Grace, so that we could be forgiven, so that we could be washed clean, so that we could have all the guilt and the shame for our sinfulness taken away from us, so that we can meet in this place and, and smile and, and enjoy your company, enjoy each other's company without the shame and the guilt of past failure. Lord, you're an amazing God. We thank you for seeking us. And Lord, I pray for some here who maybe are not ready to meet you. They haven't yet received Christ as their personal Savior. I pray that today would be the day they do so. And if that describes you, my friend, with every head bowed and every eye closed, would you pray? If you want to receive the Lord as your personal Savior, would you pray to him something like this? He knows what you're going to think and what you're saying in your heart right now. So pray something like this. Dear God, I know that I'm a sinner and I'm not worthy to be one of your children. I know that. And Lord, I know I live with the shame and the guilt that follows the things I've said and done and places I've gone. But Lord, I'm tired. I'm tired of carrying that guilt and shame. I want to be your child. I want to be cleansed. I want to be forgiven. I want to be saved. I want to be born again today. So right now, where I'm seated, Lord, as sincerely as I know how to do, I ask you to be my God and be my Savior. Come to my heart, come into my life, and save me. For Jesus' sake, with every head bowed, if you just prayed that prayer and meant it with all your heart, would you raise your hand up? Hold it up for just a moment. I won't embarrass you. I promise you. Just hold it up. I won't say anything to you. I just want to. God bless you. God bless you. Yes, God bless. Thank you. Put your hands down. Anyone else besides these? Anyone else? Preacher, I just prayed that prayer and I meant it with all my heart. Father, now as we get ready for communion, another thing that's important is if we have anything against someone else, that we make it right. And Lord, I pray that if you bring to our mind someone with whom we need to ask forgiveness or someone we need to forgive, that you would bring them to our mind right now and that at our earliest opportunity, we'll make that attempt. We'll, we'll attempt to ask them to forgive us and we will forgive them even right now. Whatever heinous thing they've done, whatever awful thing they've said, we forgive them so that when we commune, taking the elements that are representing your body and your blood, that we will be connected to you 
and healthy and whole. God, forgive us our sins as we judge sin in our own lives. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to ask that we stand just for a moment. We're going to go into a communion service in just a moment, but first, as you're standing, I'm going to ask that we sing one verse of invitation of some kind. Can we do that? You can sing what you're going to play or play at the end, whatever. Uh, either instruments play or sing either way, but one verse, just to give you an opportunity. If you want to come and receive Christ as your personal Savior, I'm down here. Ladies, my wife is right here. Uh, whatever we can do to help you out, you come ahead. If you need to come for prayer, come ahead as well. elements to come and take your positions, please. And if you did not receive the elements when you came in and you need to get those, um, just raise your hand up as they walk by the aisle and they will get these things, they will get these elements to you. Apostle Paul recorded uh, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit the circumstances of what happened in the upper room with the disciples prior to Jesus' crucifixion. As they met in that upper room to celebrate the Passover feast, as they did annually, little did the disciples realize what was about to unfold because Jesus would be taken as the Lamb of God would be slain on the altar of the cross, would die, would be buried, and would rise again on the third day. So as he was sitting at that table, him knowing full well what was about to happen, the disciples unaware, he took the unleavened bread and he pointed out that this was a representation of his body that was broken for them. When he had taken the bread and he received thanks, he broke it and said, take eat, this is my body broken for you, this do in remembrance of me. Father, we thank you for the bread that represents the sinless body of our Savior. As this bread is without leaven, so you are without sin. No one can accuse you of anything. You did nothing wrong ever. So, Father, we thank you for that perfect sacrifice, that sinless Lamb of God that was offered on the cross for our sins. We're thankful that, Lord, you became that Lamb of God. In Jesus' name, amen. He said, take heed. Next, he took the cup, and he drew... The inference that as the fruit of the vine flows when the grape is crushed, so his blood flew and flowed from the wounds in his body. And so he said, 
as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you just show forth the Lord's death till he return. He took the cup and gave thanks. Father, we thank you for the blood of Christ that was shed as a covering for our sins. Lord, we're so grateful that it not just covered them, but he also, they also took it away. Those sins are removed from us by grace through faith. So we thank you for it. Bless now in Jesus' name, amen. He said, drink you all of it. And then still disciples not realizing what was about to happen, they went out into the Mount of Olives where they sang a hymn. And so we're going to stand together and join hands as much as is possible, as much as you're comfortable with. And let's sing, thank you, Lord, for saving my soul. bless you and keep you today. Thank you for being in God's house. Live for him all day long, all week long. See you next Sunday, the Lord willing.